and Paul moved away. He was in the fourth grade, and he moved about two hours south to Champaign, Illinois, and I was so crushed, and I was like, this is my best friend ever. And I remember, you know, there was still, we went to his house once, I think we saw, I remember driving to Champaign, I got the, hung out um, with Paul for the afternoon, we saw Home Alone, I think the original Home Alone in the theater, um, but you start to drift, right? And so there were other friends back home, I got close with Aaron Knight, you've heard stories about Aaron Knight, Aaron Reshley, and uh, Ryan Harrison, man, I, I, I think about Ryan Harrison now, I go, what happened to Ryan Harrison? But elementary turns into middle school, right? And middle school turns into school, and your friends just change. Nothing crazy happens, right? Maybe. I mean, maybe there was a falling out, but for some of them, just life happens. And so for me in high school, I, I, was, I moved. We moved to Kansas. You know that. I've told those stories a lot. And so childhood friends, like virtually impossible to keep in contact with these childhood friends. But so you're close for a while, but time, like things change, right? So my question for you is, have you had an experience like this? Have you had, like, who is your best, in fact, think of that person right now. Almost every one of you in here had a childhood friend. Maybe a best friend, guys, you don't use that language maybe. You're like, I've never been a best friend kind of guy. He's not my best friend. We don't have best friends. We're guys. Um, but you have a good childhood friend. Think of that person. And what happened? Many times there wasn't a falling out. There wasn't a big argument. But things just, you went to, you went to middle school. Maybe you went to a different middle school. Maybe, but are you still best friends with that person? For most of you, Probably not. And um, you did everything together, but now things change. And again, maybe you aren't even really sure why, but you just sort of drifted over time. Um, maybe you're friends on Facebook, but you just don't see each other that often. Now, think about your relationship with God. What I'm getting at with this is how many of you, um, at, one at one time, at some point, you were close to God? Maybe fall retreat this last year. Maybe it was fall retreat three years ago. Like, that was the time. That was a powerful, power retreat. This year was okay, and you were glad you went. Bleh. But at one point, you were close with God, and, um, but, you, you know, maybe you're not anymore. And so our, our relationship with God starts to feel this way, that you go, we used to be close, but lately I just haven't been, and I, nothing's happened, but there seems to be this distance. And the truth is, we all want to feel close to somebody, we all want to feel cared about, and we all want somebody to care about us, Right? We want someone who knows us sort of inside and out. That's why we love best friends, girls. That's why you go places like in packs with your friend group, or many of you desperately want to have that one best friend. Um, guys, we're more subtle about it. Like I said, we wouldn't use that language, but we want to be known. There's something really appealing about being close to somebody, but there's also something really appealing about being close to God, right? We know that we're supposed to be close to Him, to feel close to Him, and so man, as a high school junior right now, why don't I? And is something wrong with me? Or as a high school freshman? Or um, why is it only on retreats? Now, it also, though, at times might come with some challenges, right? Maybe you sort of know, um, I like being close to God, but um, there's some issues with that. For starters, we know this, Jesus isn't physically in a human body on the earth anymore. And that, like, you sort of wish he was. Now, I might add, like, I, Jesus really is in a, in a human body, a restored human body, but he's not on earth, right? He ascended into the sky, into heaven. So he's not here, but we want to, like, Jesus, what do you talking about a relationship with you? Like, I want to hug you. I want to talk to you. I want to feel your breath on my face, and I guarantee you it's minty fresh, and it's wonderful, and everything about you would be great, but you're not here, and so I can't hug you. And so this, this relationship talk about, it's abstract, right? I know it's real, but it's not like, I want something 
concrete, which is why we as humans are most of you in here, you at least know of a friend who constantly has to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend because they need that somebody that they just feel close to. We want somebody concrete. But Jesus isn't like that. And so um, we go, that's hard. And so I want to be close to you, but Jesus, I wish I had a real relationship with a real human being, God. For others of us, um, we're, we're afraid that once we get close to God, he may tell us things that um, we don't want to hear. Like Jesus was sort of like, well, now that we're close again, um, should I bring up how many negative thoughts you have about other people? Or here's some problems I have with how you're behaving lately. Or, or you're, you're, you're being pretty disrespectful to mom and dad. Or just things that you know deep down are sort of there, but you're like, um, I feel like if God was to talk to me, um, he'd say, let me tell you all the reasons I hate you. And maybe, um, maybe for you, you tend to think of a certain parent or a relative, or especially if you have like a bad situation with your stepdad or stepmom or your actual parents. We, we, like, portray that on God. Maybe for you, um, you're not worried that God's mad, but that getting close to him means that your life just might be sort of more miserable, right? We still, you go, uh, spiritual life, this Christian thing, it's boring. Like, it's not so much that God would be mad at me. I just don't think, I think, like, if we're honest, I think God sucks the fun out of everything. Maybe that's your view. That he just, he's boring. And all this Christian stuff or whatever, like, and, and uh, you go, if I were to live that way, my friends would be like, why are you like the goody, the goody two-shoes? And you, ooh, you got to obey everything the teacher said. Like, you just wanna, don't want to be that person. And something about you is, just pushes back against that. You think God's boring. But it's kind of funny, too, because we come here to church and we hear about, we hear different about God. We hear that he loves us and that he wants a relationship with us. And we talk about how God wants to be close to us. And that's real, right? It's true. It really is. But deep down, we sometimes have this suspicion that, that there's a story than that. Or maybe we, we go, yeah, God is loving, but as Eli prayed earlier, he's also intimidating. And he's big. And, and, um, and God, he can get mad, right? I mean, the Bible talks about his anger. And I don't like anger. And I don't like it. God, certainly. And so there's a suspicion. Like, well, which is it? Is God loving or is he angry or intimidating or big and monstrous and all-consuming. And so, just being to him at times is difficult or complicated, and staying close to him, it's maybe impossible. So tonight, for the first week of this series, we're going to be in this series for, oh, three or four weeks, I think. Um, but we're going to be looking tonight at the life of Abraham, the book of Genesis, and looking at how Abraham was close to God. Now, some of you, I don't know how many of you in here are doing that, um, the 365 reading plan that the church is doing. Um, maybe your parents are doing it, and that's helping you do it or doing it on your own. But so if that's you, just a few weeks ago, we finished Genesis. You read about the life of Abraham. Um, but tonight, here's the thing. We, learn, we start learning about Abraham in chapters 11 and 12 of Genesis. In fact, his name isn't Abraham yet. His name's Abram, and you know that, a lot of you. But so in Genesis 12, the first thing we learn about Abram is that God shows up and speaks to him in, in some sort of vision or a dream, and he tells Abram to leave his hometown, his home turf, his home country, and uh, leave his faith thing he knows to go to the land that God was going to, to give to him and his descendants, the land that God was going to show him. Now, God's plans for Abraham were way bigger than just that. Um, as you know and as we read, in fact, in the Bible, you can open it to Genesis 12, we're going to see that God's really setting the stage for the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of redemption, that God is setting a context, not just about Abraham, but for Abraham's greater descendant, Jesus. And he picks this man, Abram, Abraham, 
and promises to bless him, but ultimately that's because all down through this lineage, eventually, Jesus is Abraham's descendant. Um, so he's, setting, he's sort of setting the context, but we're going we're gonna to pick up at Genesis 12 and uh, read verses 1 through 8. So if you have a Bible, follow along. If you have the app, pull it out. Um, I'd love for you to at least, I don't know, know how to navigate. I guess the app's too easy, right? You just hit Genesis. But. It says this, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be blessing. I will bless those who bless you, who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That seems like a pretty like extravagant promise, right? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. But like I said, how has that come true? It ultimately comes through through comes true through Jesus. But it says so. Abraham or Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy five years old when he set out from Haran wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and there they, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So sort of second time. God again, I don't know how he speaks, how he spoke to Abram, but he says, he says, I'm going to give you this land. He built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 8, from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. Now again, maybe you're familiar with this, but this is chapter 12 of the Bible. The, the, this 12 chapters in. Before this, you tur- start turning back, you see a little bit of the history of Abram and his descendants. But then it's like the Tower of Babel and before that it's the flood. There is not this history of, I mean, somehow I think God, you know, he speaks to Noah about the flood, but Abram's not like super familiar with this God probably. But at the end of this passage, this God is talking to him, is giving him a blessing and a promise. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. We'll in a little bit here in in, uh, chapter 15. But it says he started calling on the name of the Lord. This God, I will worship you. You will be my God. But so God was asking a lot of Abram, right? But before he even started, God wanted Abram to know he had a plan in place. He had this whole, like, this whole plan set up that we see unfolding all throughout the whole Old Testament. He wasn't just asking Abram to leave his homeland, not, and not just so that he would be miserable, but God wanted Abram to know him. He wanted to bless him. He wanted, and as he said here, he wants the whole world to be blessed through him. And so this, chapter 12, is only the beginning of Abram's story, only the, the beginning of his and over and over again, God walks with Abram, makes promises to him, and gives him a bigger and bigger glimpse of the future, of the role that Abram will play in the future that God has for him. He's continually drawn Abram closer to himself. And again, I wish I would be there. I wish I knew how this God spoke to Abram. Recently, we just read, you know, Moses, God spoke to Moses through the burning bush initially. I don't know how, what this was, an audible voice or how this was, but God spoke to Abraham. Abram numerous times, and um, what we start to see happening is that God and Abram develop sort of this relational history at some point, so that it, when it seems like God starts asking Abram to do crazy things, which think about the, uh, the story of his life and later on what God asks him to do, Abram looks back at how God has been faithful and just goes, I trust this God. This God speaks to me. He's faithful. He's been loyal to me. He's trustworthy. He's good. 
And so before Abram is ever just obedient, he goes, God just wants me. Yes, he wants me to be obedient, but Abram had done nothing yet at this point. God just calls him. And so over and over again, Abram is learning that relationships matter to God. And that's what, you know, Jared and Trevor, the last three weeks, were just pounding this into us. It's all about a relationship with God. But so he has a plan, and it can be trusted, and he wants to be close. And he wants to be close to Abram, and he wants to be close to us. Now, this, again, this, a lot of this is really pointing the way toward Jesus. And so sometimes, again, like I said, we get, we get this view of the, Old Te- the New Testament, and the Old Testament God is angry and moody and throw te- throws temper tantrums, right? And if he gets mad at people, he'll just, he'll just kill them somehow. And we're like, in the New Testament, it doesn't work like that. And so you almost feel like, are those two different gods? And I really like the God of the New Testament. But I don't know what's going on in the Old Testament sometimes. But what we see is the story of Abram shows us a God who values people, who has always valued people, and who has always valued relationships. And it shows us a God who's always placed the highest importance on being close with people, that he wants that. My, best, my favorite illustration of this is a, is a story my dad would always tell as a pastor, and it's sort of obscure and it's sort of weird, but he would say there's this old couple, say they're in their 70s or 80s, think of your grandparents, and they would ride in um, the truck. Think of if you had a grandpa that was like a farmer. My grandpa was a farmer. It had this really old Dodge truck. Um, seemed like forever, and it sort of had this grandpa smell to it. But imagine your grandparents are in this truck, and they're driving along, and the woman, you know, wife looks at the, the husband and says, honey, you know, when we were young and newly married, we, we would sit so close together. We would sort of snuggle up in this truck, and I'd hold your hand, and we were just in love and so close and so dear, and we just, we just loved each other. What happened to us? Look at us now. And the dad, the, the man just looks over at his wife, and he goes, who moved? God is always the right, right? God is not the one who moved. Um, many times, there's just stuff that gets in the way. Our life happens. And um, we could just scoot right up to him, probably. He's there for us. But he's not the one who moved. But so God, initially, he's trying, he's building this context about Jesus. And so, obviously, the greatest news, the best news, is that God did send Jesus to be sure that we recognize his desire to be close to us. And so, Jesus arrives and makes himself accessible He's, he bridges the gap, right? Think of some grand bridge that needs to be built in order to bridge two lands. There's a river bef- uh, going through it. I keep thinking of the pedestrian bridge here in Omaha, which is not a huge bridge, recent build. And um, so the, the river's there, and it, we want to get to Council Bluffs for some reason. Um, and it's not even a huge bridge. It was a big deal because people can just walk across it. But there's this gap, right? And so Jesus bridges the gap between God and his people. He's the way that we can reconnect. And so Jesus makes himself accessible, not just to one man, Abram, and not just to one people, the Israelites, but to all people in all places throughout all history. Inviting himself, he's saying, I will bridge the gap between God and man. And so God allows his sinless, perfect son, his compassionate son, his loving son, and he sends him here to die for our sins, not just to make a point, but to make a move toward us, to show us that he won't let anything get in the way between God in us. And so Jesus pays the penalty on the cross that, for our sins that we deserve. And we get the rights to everything that Jesus deserves, the glory, the majesty, the splendor of heaven, of access to God. It's all ours. The glories of heaven. We don't even think we deserve it. And Jesus, 
took what we deserve. Took health, took the penalty that our sins deserve. He wanted to prove, as tempting as it is to think that God's angry or distant, that once and for all, no, like God wants to be close to us, and Jesus is the proof of that. That's how much God loves you, and that's God wants to be near to you. Enough that he let his son, like, take our death penalty for us. So because of Jesus, we can be as close as Abraham was to God. Um, here's my main point tonight, and this is sort of odd and sort of cheap. I wanted it, I wanted it to rhyme, and I wanted you to remember it. And so it goes like this. Um, when you don't know what to do, chase the one who's chasing you. When you don't know what to do, chase the one who's chasing you, which means I'm just saying he's pursuing. He's chasing you. Um, and apply this to a spiritual context, all right? Don't apply this to when you're cruising around town on Friday night after, I don't know, the basketball game. Um, it might not go well if someone's chasing you. But when you don't know what to do, like God wants you. And like, like I said, he hasn't moved if he's chasing you, when you don't know what to do, chase him back. He wants you to delight in him. And he satisfies. He really does. I think those moments you guys know when you have this taste of who he is and what it's like at a retreat or whatever. Now, that sounds nice, right? But here's the deal. Despite what it sounds like, do you believe this is true for you? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ went to these lengths for you? Do you make your decisions, base your decisions on what God says is true of you because of the cross, that he accepts you, that he approves of you, that he thinks you're beautiful, that he thinks you're worthy? Or do you distance yourself from God because honestly you just don't think it works? You don't think it makes a difference? You don't think it matters? The truth is when we believe that God wants to be close to us, it changes all kinds of things in our lives, you guys. It really does. So in chapter 15 of Genesis, just a couple chapters later, we find a really important part of Abram's story. And again, God takes a few times to try to drill this into Abram. Um, but it says this, chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he said this, this is, this is wild. God says to him, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. Have you ever noticed that verse before? God says, I'm it. Like, I'm the reward. You're, you're longing all your life for something to fill you up. You guys, <clears throat> okay, yeah, we're human, right? Girls, like, you will get married someday, and he will not fully ultimately satisfy. You all want a guy. Guys, you all want a girl to be your everything, and man, some, you're gonna. You're gonna most, majority of you statistically will get married, and it will be awesome, but your spouse will let you down, and if you don't have, like, this rock-solid relationship with the God of the universe? God says, I'm your reward, your very great reward. But Abram, sovereign God, what can you give me since I remain childless? The one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So Abram's still doubting. God's old. My wife is old. And so here are my plans. I'm going to give my, my inheritance to this servant in my house. Verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Isaac. But ultimately, Jesus. Again, it's not just about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it's all this whole lineage leading to Jesus. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram, this is such a 
classic verse. So Abram believed the Lord, and, and he, God, credited it to him as righteousness. Paul, in the New Testament, the quotes this verse all over the place as sort of the pinnacle, like the verse that says we're saved not by works, but by faith, by trusting Jesus Christ. So Abram believed the Lord. He trusted him. At first he doubted, a little unsure, but God tells him this again and he believes. He puts trusting faith in the God who's speaking to him and in God's promise. And he didn't just believe in God. He didn't just, just, just believe that God exists. He believed God. And he trusted what God said was true and he lived differently because of it. What would you do differently if you really believed what God says about you? If you really believed that, how would you live differently? How would you stop worrying? How would you stop, like, would you stop, I don't know, making comments about others because we're insecure ourselves? If you really believed what God says about you, how would you think differently? How would you talk differently? What if just for this week you decided to live as if the things God said about you were really true? What would happen? And you would start to live like you really have a personal relationship with him like you did with a childhood friend or your best friend now. Just try it. Abraham was close to God and they had a relationship because he believed what God had said. And when you have that much confidence, it's not this have to, it's a I get to do this. For Abraham, it becomes this like, God, wow, like there's nothing more satisfying to me in the whole world. There's nothing more satisfying than you. So it's enough. Trusting God, believing God is enough. And so, hopefully, you'll find that your lives start changing. If you start living this way, your circumstances may not change necessarily, but hopefully your attitude starts to change. You guys, you get to be, and I think especially juniors and seniors, you start to get a little bit cynical. You start to get a little bit bitter, maybe. You start to get just a little bit angry, I don't know, at mom or dad or at your teachers, or you start to want out of the house, you get senioritis. How's your attitude? You may start finding yourselves wanting things that you've never wanted, but like, or being nice to your siblings, or being kind to your step-parents, or whatever it is that bothers you. You might give something up. You might start being generous with your money, because it doesn't have such a control on you anymore, because that's how God's prompting you, and those, things that God, those are things that God wants for you. So when we approach life with an understanding that God has done everything possible to be close to us, we'll see things differently and we'll make better choices. We'll love people better because God has first loved us. Um, We'll forgive easier because God has forgiven us first. We'll be more patient with others because God's been patient with us. Because when we understand that God is chasing us and pursuing us, we will chase him too. So when you don't know what to do, you guys, will you say that with me? I know that's elementary, but will you say this with me? The main point, one, two, three, when you don't know what to do, Chase the one who's chasing you. Very good. It's like we're in kindergarten, right? I know that's so, but maybe you'll remember that. Maybe for a week, maybe for less than a week, but maybe you'll. So this week, I want you to take a step toward being close to God. And I want you to at least try to understand the things, the way that that God sees you, the things that he wants for you. To actually throw suspicion and start to really believe, I really think this God thing, I think it's real, but I think he wants good things for me. I really think he's a good, good father. And I'm his son or I'm his daughter and I can, I can trust him. I can be to him. So believe what he says about you and believe what he did 
because of, like Jesus is the guarantee that he loves you and that he wants to be close to you. So tonight, as you head to groups, ask God to understand how much he loves you and wants to be with you, okay? Let's pray. Father God, um, just speaking frankly, God, from the heart, I really want to be close to you. I really, really do. And God, there's so much that gets in the way of that. God, I feel like personally, um, most of it is my fault. Like, God, I think of the, the things I'm distracted by, the things that I just feel like I have to do. And again, that's part of life. God, I get that. I understand that. But God, I just want to be close to you. I want to sit at your feet. I want to pretend like we're at Starbucks having coffee together, talking to me. I want to know you more. I want to know, um, I, I want to know not just what you have for me, but I want to know more about who you are and what you're like. I'm envious of guys like John who got to like spend time with you, Jesus. Um, God, help me and help us to have an interactive friendship with you, to know what that looks like. And yet, God, to have a healthy um, just awe and respect for who you are because you're God of the universe. You're the creator and you've given us everything, but God, you came near and you bridged the gap. <laughs> you're the pedestrian bridge, which is a horrible analogy, but God, you're the pedestrian bridge that bridges us together. So God, thank you for chasing us. Thank you for pursuing me as a little child, as a little boy, and giving me parents that love you dearly and raising me to know you so that I started to love you as well. And so God, at times when we're confused in the middle of the chaos of high school, help us to chase you because you're chasing us first. So God, thanks for your grace. Thanks for the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.